0: Hey, Carlos, guess how many federal laws there are. Federal laws? Yeah, just give me a period? guess. Give me a guess. Yeah, period? Yeah, period. Play it on me. Mmm... Um, at least... a million? At least a million. Maybe, okay, okay, know. what do we got?
1: Ah, that seems, that seems high, but I wouldn't... I believe it. Maybe 300k.
0: Okay, so <laughs> I'm reading... <laughs> Uh, this article from the Library of Congress that says trying to tally this number is nearly impossible. Wow. Uh, There, you can see, in the 1980s, uh, federal law was scattered among 50 titles and 23,000 pages. Ew. Bam. (laughs) It's a lot of laws. I mean, it's so profoundly difficult to understand how many there are, much less what they are. Yeah, and that's just federal, that's not even That's just federal, yeah. Yeah, like in Chicago, there's this fun law where if you're like ugly, Uh you can't be on the street. Really? Mm -hmm. It's on the books, but nobody enforces it. Isn't fun? The legal system is confusing and finicky, and that makes sense. The law of the land is something that you want to be versatile and applicable to multiple situations. But in that effort to make something vague enough to apply to many things, you also wind up needing a law degree to fully understand the meaning of the law. And the meaning of meaning is pretty loose here. It's more about having an interpretation. So, this is Here Allá Presente, a podcast about immigration and Colorado. I'm Grayton Newman, and this episode is about Remain, or the Rocky Mountain Immigrant Advocacy Network.
1: Okay, so, well, the question is, can you walk us through an example of how legal representation helps immigrant families? But I think in order to answer that, it's important to step back and explain a little bit more about how people interact in immigration proceedings. Um, And it's important to explain that people in immigration proceedings, while they technically have the right to an attorney, the government does not provide counsel. And I think that's something that's really important to highlight. Um, And what this means is that if a person cannot afford a private attorney or cannot attain pro bono counsel through an organization like the Rocky Mountain Immigrant Advocacy Network, then they're forced to represent themselves in court in front of a judge and against a government attorney who is there actively trying to deport them.
0: This is Carly Howenstein.
1: So because of how difficult it is to obtain representation, the vast majority of people in immigration proceedings do not have an attorney.
0: She's a legal advocate for Remain.
1: Actually, only about 30 percent of people nationwide have an attorney representing them in detained proceedings. This is really important and matters and is significant because immigrants who are represented are three and a half times more likely to be released from immigration detention on bond and up to 10 times more likely to establish a right to remain in the United States. So having that representation um, really does make a difference.
0: And this is where Remain comes into play.
2: Remain was founded um, in the early 1990s um, by some local attorneys and professors. Uh, They recognized the need for representation here in the Denver area. Um, And so they organized a group of pro bono volunteers, including local attorneys and law students at DU and CU. Um, and they also collaborated with organizations uh, to build up what Remain is today. Hi, I'm Shailene Morales. Um, I'm a staff attorney at the Rocky Mountain Immigrant Advocacy Network.
0: How has that landscape of the immigration system evolved, like, or devolved, or however you would like to phrase it? Because I've seen articles talking about how, like, over the past, presidential administration there has been lots of uh budget slashing in the immigration system and red tape has just skyrocketed and how how has that sort of legal and linguistic sabotage happened to the immigration system
2: Yeah so um the the legal landscape um in immigration proceedings has a hundred percent changed. Like I mentioned before, each administration comes in with their own policies, um, their own, right, desires and motivations, um, which causes hell on earth for everyone, you know, in the system, um, for attorneys trying to assist folks who um, are enthralled in this system. And it has created uh, a million-plus case backlog in the court system right now. So there are a million-plus cases on the docket, on you know around the country, not just (laughs) just here in Colorado. A million plus. The exact number, I um, I'm unsure of, but I know it's a million plus. Um, I believe um, back in the day, maybe in like 2002, it was it was much less. It was you know 200,000, uh, but now it's a million plus. So um, with each administration, you have, um, for example, um, President Trump um, passed Title 42, barring people due to COVID from entering the country. You had um, MPP, which is the Migrant Protection Program, Title 42, all of those things barred people from entering the country. Now we have President Biden who has attempted to fight back some of the um, Trump-imposed policies. So now we have uh, something that's called um, the dedicated docket which is a new program uh, that came out after President Biden was inaugurated, um, which uh, says, you know, um, the individuals who are at the border seeking asylum, if they come in and they are coming to Denver, their cases uh, should be completed faster than someone uh, who's had a case in front of the court for for many years, right? So it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, The problem just continues. And uh, we have individuals all around the country who might have had very strong cases back in 2015 when they applied for asylum or something called cancellation of removal. But now it's 2022, things might have changed in their native countries where it's gonna be harder for them to prove their fear of returning. The hardest part of the job is um, both the emotional part of things. We hear lots of um, lots of stories from individuals we encounter, whether they be clients or not, um, that I would personally say, how, how does someone keep going, right? I could not have gone through, Um, but people are resilient. So, um, and then on the logistical side of things, the law, (laughs) immigration law, continues to change with every administration, Um, and sometimes it changes so rapidly that I can't keep up. So for someone who is, one, uh, detained, and two, the, you know, new to this system, how can, how can they keep up? So it's complicated for so many other reasons, but I think those two are the hardest parts for me, the emotional side and the logistical side of trying to keep up with the law.
1: I think my biggest takeaway from doing this work is to question authority and question our country's systems. Um, As I've said before, I am a white US citizen and that has given me a lot of privilege in my life so far. Uh, And I grew up more or less trusting systems, the systems that were in place, and kind of trusting that if people were detained or incarcerated, it was for a quote-unquote good reason, or that there at least was a reason. Um, But since learning more, especially about the immigration system and many other systems... Uh, It has become very clear that these systems are built on racism and xenophobia and that no one, no human being should be treated the way that they are in immigration detention systems. And it's going to take exposure and advocacy and a whole lot of fight to create effective change. And that effective change is very desperately needed because, um, you know, the media talks about the deserving immigrant or who who should be here, who shouldn't be here. And that's just not the way to talk about, about immigration or about these systems. Um, human beings should not be incarcerated, especially with no reason. And that's something that we have to um, figure out.
0: This episode was produced by myself, Carlos Jimenez, Gray Newman, Lucy Richardson, and Lisette Zamora Galarza. This podcast was made possible by the generous support of the Center for Immigration Policy and Research here at the University of Denver and the Center for Innovation in the Liberal and Creative Arts, also here at DU.